Blog Talk Radio. Charles Ross, and uh, hope you're having a good uh, shelter-in-place time wherever you are. Uh, if you're listening in the Atlanta, Georgia, it doesn't look like many people are sheltering in place. I went out to uh, run an errand, get some groceries, and um, it looks like business as usual out there, so we, we might be in this for a while. But joining me today is a um, special guest, uh, Josh Gordy. Uh, Josh Gordy is a former NFL player. Josh, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How you doing, Dr. Ross? Oh, just doing very fine, very fine. Well, he's a native of Washington County, Georgia, a graduate of uh, Central Michigan University with a Bachelor of Science in Health Fitness. And um, he played for six years in the NFL and won a Super Bowl ring. And so we're very proud to have him. But the most important thing is that uh, Josh, well, not the most important thing, but the thing that brings him to our show, because this is a show on finance and money, is that he's a real estate investor. And he counters the image. I heard a statistic, and Josh confirmed if this is true, that uh, a statistic. Uh, rather, I, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to yeah, say. Yeah, <laughs> every three, about, in about three years, most athletes uh, professional, uh, basketball and football, maybe even baseball, they're broke. Uh, have you heard that statistic as well? Yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it. Um, and being a being a former athlete, you know, professional athlete, I I've on, you know I've set out on a mission to kind of, you know, either reverse that 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 stereotype or actually bring you know correct truth to that because okay. you gotta you gotta look at the numbers on it, right? All the guys they put in there, you know, they put in guys who are only on a team for you know three weeks, you know, in a training camp. Okay. You know, and they only, you know, so they only probably earn a couple thousand dollars. So, you know, how long you think a couple thousand dollars going to last? Um, you know, so there's always some some further digging into the statistics that, you know, a lot, a lot of people like to, you know, need to do. And I like to kind of bring the light every now and then. Um, but, you know, it is it is some extreme cases, you know, that people, that the media is going to, you know, portray. Um and me, you know, me personally, being a former athlete, I don't, you know, I really don't like the way they do it. Um, I wish they would, you know, highlight guys who, 
you know, done it the right way after after retirement. Because uh, I know plenty of them who are who do it well. And and that's right, why we're having right. you on. Because, and you're, and I'm glad you brought that up. So what you're saying, the statistic that we hear that in three or four years, most athletes, a lot of athletes are broke, is because you have the whole spectrum, like you said, those who are just exactly. maybe uh, on, the, uh, exactly. on the practice squad and then folks that, you know, are making millions and millions and they average that out. And in three years, yeah, they might be broke because, you know, yeah. hey, they weren't making that much right, money. Right. So, But what is your experience now? You know, Go ahead, go ahead, go, go ahead, ahead, Josh. Well, I was going to say because of what, what a lot of what the general public don't really uh, know about that, you know, that world of sports is, you know, every summer the, the team brings in 90 guys, right? And right. so you got 90 guys on the team during the summer, but when the season time comes, you know, that's cut down to 53, you know, come okay. August. So all those extra guys, you know, they, they probably only been there for a summer. So, um, you know, they, don't, they, they didn't earn that much money. Um, so, and that, that them the guys that kind of, I think that kind of bring the stats down. But of course, everybody like to portray that, <laughs> you know that that number. So, well, bringing bringing truth to this, then what is uh, the attitude of of a lot of the players that you play been around? Uh, are they thinking about life after football? Because I know a lot of times it's, you know, you know, unfortunately they think, well, I'm going to be doing this for quite a while. When in essence, you know, that may yeah. not be true. What is your yeah. take on the financial acumen? Because I know the NFL has a program where you know they do give you some insight into, you know, how to manage your money and that kind of thing. Is, is that that pretty much the case? Is there a program like that? I heard yeah. that there's a program like that. Yeah. So. You know, and, I, and I've, I've, I've kind of always, you know, spoke my mind on the uh, the programs that they do offer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the the things they do, they have they have financial advisors come in, um, you know, and basically talk about investing long term, whatever. But you got to mm-hmm. think about, it, you know, as you probably know, advisors they get paid off how much money they manage for you. You right. know, so I think I think where they kind of missed the mark. Uh, the NFL as a whole is the ground roots, the the personal finance side of it. You know, actually looking at a budget, budgeting every month. You know, knowing what those expenses are gonna go every month. Uh, I think that's kind of where they drop the ball because the financial advisor they come in, yeah, they do a quick budget, but they don't harp on that. They want to get okay. to the part where, hey, okay, put your money, you know, put your money in our firm so we can so we can manage it for you. You know, that's the, that's that is the one beef I have. Uh, with a lot of the teams, um, you know, they, I'm sure they mean well, but I think it can be done, you know, more effectively and efficiently. Yeah, and and I think that's the big key is that you know, uh, now was this somewhere in your background that helped you? you? You from 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 what I understand that you only lived on 25% of your income, you know, and then you saved the rest. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, well. I don't know if it would have been 25, but somewhere in that in that neighborhood. In that neighborhood, um, okay. You know, just yeah, just you know, just uh, sort of a background. You know, growing up, um, you know, I work I worked with my granddad uh, doing actual you know <laughs> some hard physical labor where, you know, you had to really earn a buck. It wasn't you weren't paid by the hour; you were paid by what you did. Um, okay. You know, we just laid my granddad my just laid my granddad rest this, this past weekend. Um, you know, but just going back through all those memories, man, I, I, I really cherish what he taught us about, you know, the meaning of hard work, valuing, valuing a dollar. Um, and okay. I think that's where, I think that's where I kind of got that, 
I guess, attitude around money and, you know, just back, like, like I said, just valuing it because once you earn that dollar, you know, you really got to work for it. It's hard to let it go. And that's something <laughs> I carried over into adulthood. <laughs> you know, I carried over into adulthood even once I made it to that next level. Um, you know, I, I don't want to just spend it on frivolous things. So I've always been a, a natural saver. Uh, kind of came natural to me. So, um, and I think that's, that's what started me on that that road, you know, that rabbit hole of personal finance and really, you know, really getting all the principles down and that solid foundation. So uh, that's, that's, that's definitely where it started and it kicked off from there. So you're saying that it, it started with your, your upbringing and how you were raised, in, in other words. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, more or less, definitely, you know, being first and, you know, just being that first hand and having to work, having to actually work, you know, work for the money, uh, whether it be my granddad or when I got a little older, I worked for my dad in the barbershop. It's the same thing. It's 100% commission. So, you know, if you didn't push those clips, you didn't get paid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that reminds me of myself. When I was growing up, you know, um, you know, I had a newspaper route. I worked with my dad, had two dry cleaners and, you know, I never mm. envisioned that I would, you know, be working for somebody else, you know. Uh, and that's one of the things that kept mm-hmm. in my mind that I, that when I went into banking and then it went into radio, that's banking, and then I came up with the radio show, Your Personal Finance. I always was thinking about okay. how I could, you know, do something. So a lot of it, how can I do something for myself? Because I never saw my dad come right, on right. and complain about the boss, so to speak. Hey, the boss is getting on my nerves. You know, that wasn't the thing. <laughs> right. You know, I was always around him. He was the boss, you know. And so he really didn't that's have to exactly. be anybody. And that's a whole different mentality. Yep. So that may be one of the things. Have you been able to go back and tutor or, or mentor some of the younger players, even more senior players, about what you're doing? Because we want to talk about your real estate stuff in just a minute. Have you been able to? Are they right. receptive yeah. to that? Yeah, I've, uh, I mean, I've probably talked about three or four guys uh, since I really, uh, you know, dove into the real estate world. I've been, you know, I've been doing real estate six, seven years, but haven't really publicized it like that because uh, I'm not, I don't do it. We'll get into it, but I'm not doing, you know, a lot of the sexy stuff you see on TV as far as real estate goes. But um, yeah, have definitely have had a few guys reach out to me, and I would say the trend is it's more guys who are retired, you know, looking to do, you know, what's next. Um, because I mean, quite honestly, when you when you're in it, you know, you're in it and you're trying to. Um, I mean, if you're trying to make the team every year, so it's kind of like, you know, I got to really, really focus on this because this is what's going to feed my family right now, you know, and give me the most, the the, the best opportunity, you know, to earn earn the most the most money at, at that particular time. So uh, definitely more more guys who are done, you know, done playing and looking for what's next. So, yeah, I've had about, yeah, I'll say probably, uh, actually probably about five guys now that I've kind of to show what I'm doing, show what I'm doing, and and things like that. So, so you saying you're not doing the sexy stuff? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, which I, I'm assuming you're thinking the sexy stuff is the fix and flip stuff. What do you consider the sexy stuff? Yeah. Stuff really? that, that's it. That's it. That's it. Um, the stuff you see on TV, man. The, the, the go in, buy it. You know, buy the, the rundown house and fix it up and flip it and sell it. Um, you know, that it just never really. I can see why people get into it. Obviously, the, the big payout, but you know, the, the big the big paycheck doesn't that doesn't get my that doesn't get my blood my blood flowing. You know, I, I've seen you know 
playing in the NFL, you've seen big amounts of money. So that doesn't really get me going, you know. Because once you do it, okay, now you just send, now you just send back a cash. Now what, you know? Right. That's yeah. always helpful. Yeah. But but I'm, I'm more of a just my personality type. You know, hey, I'd rather get something, you know, fix it, and hey, I'm renting it long term, man. Uh, you know, letting it letting it stay in the family for generations if possible. So. So, yeah, that's the sexy stuff. And I think that that's the thing that I think a lot of people think about, the sexy stuff. Because to me, fixing and flipping, yeah. and I might do some of that down the road to, to pay up some mortgages and yep. things like that. But, you know, that's a job. Yep. You know, I don't, I really don't want a job. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> you got to monitor the contractors. You got to buy, go buy stuff and, you know, all this kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, for those who like to do that, because once you've done the flip, it takes three, four months or whatever, then you got to do another one, you know. Um, exactly. And, exactly. and then from a tax standpoint, that's a short-term gain. <laughs> and right. so it's going to be taxed <laughs> yep. like ordinary income. So you got to look at that that's stuff. It. But yeah, I can see where you have all these shows on HGTV and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's very sexy. So how yeah. did you get yeah. into real estate? What, what prompted you to do real estate versus do a franchise or open up a store or sell products or something like that? Uh, so I, I think uh, myself, like probably a lot of investors, actually kind of they say got into it, you know, on accident. Um, I moved out of a uh, townhouse in, you know, close to downtown Atlanta. You know, we had, me and my wife had kids, so we moved out to, uh, you know, suburb Atlanta. Or we could get a little, you know, get a lot more, you know, a lot more space for your money. Um, mm-hmm. And plus, you know, I, I'm a country boy, so I like, I like to have my space. <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. so I sit out of my yard, sit out of my yard. But, uh, and, and that's, just, that's what kind of got me into it. I was like, okay, hey. I know it's in a good area. Let me see. You know, and I knew I was kind of getting to the end of my career. Uh, I like, you know, let me rent this out and, you know, see if I can get some money coming in some kind of way. And I think I think from that first time I got that first rent check, man, it was like, hmm, I might be on to something here. So let me, <laughs> you know, let me dive. Let me let me dive on into this a little further. Uh, you know, really, really get educated on it. Um, and, man, it just took off from there, man. I was you know, reading books, podcasts, twenty four seven. Um, yeah. So did I mean, you? Do, so did you do any educating? Off. Did you do any educating before you jumped into it? I mean, did you read some books, go to some, you know, workshops or anything like that before you got into it? Nah. Uh. Honestly, no. I don't. No. Especially, you know, it's definitely nothing. I didn't do anything formal. You know, I went, I'm okay. not telling anybody not to do that. You know, I, I definitely right. see the value in that, but but I didn't. Um, you know, and I, I, like I said, I just jumped in. Um, I think I may have, you know, listened to some, a couple of specific podcasts on, you know, stuff like how to actually manage them once you have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that, that, was, that was about, that was about it, man. And, um, like I said, so, we took off yeah. there. Now it has been some, has been some, you know, some, some have facing some obstacles along the way. Uh, but it, you know, it made made my investing career, you know, but to what it is today. So, so you want kind of those guys is that you know uh, you're from, uh, you know, the, the school of I got to get in there and get my hands dirty and just mess with it, and then I'll figure <laughs> it out. I'll figure out it uh, on the way, you know, and, and do it. 
Right, and, right, and, uh, right. Yeah. And, I think, and, that, and that's a good strategy because my wife and I, you know, we, we looked at it for about a year or so and did some studying and reading. And then finally, we just had to jump in and just say, okay, we're going to buy our first property. And like I said, when you get mm-hmm. that first rent check, mm-hmm. and like, whoa, okay, this is good. <laughs> you know? As a matter of fact, I'm making <laughs> money. I'm not even doing anything. You know? Well, you, you did something. You earned the money. That's it. But, um, and that's why I tell people, I said, you know, I don't want another job. I don't want a job. My money's working for me. And, and right now, you know, you can get real estate. I mean, easily cap rates of 15, 20% is not unusual. You can't get that anywhere mm-hmm. at a bank, you know. So, mm-hmm. what would you, so, so what would you advise a, a, a newbie? If someone is looking, you've got folks that are listening, and um, yep. what would you advise them to do in terms of the things that you say you learned in the school of hard knocks and things you've learned along the way? What would you advise them to do? What, would you, what piece of advice would you give them? Oh, man. Oh. It can be a lot, I guess, but one main thing is, you know, if, you, if you've been studying for a while and you just kind of sitting, like, just go out and do that first deal, man. You gotta, you gotta jump, you gotta jump into it. Uh, nowhere around it, you know. I think a lot of people get what they call it paralysis of analysis. Right. Uh, they try to, they try to learn everything, get it perfect, get everything perfect before they, you know, make that first, that first investment uh, purchase. Um, but if you're waiting on that, man, if you're waiting on it for the perfect conditions, you'll never, you'll never be ready. Um, and, and I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's value in, like I said, getting in there and getting on in there and getting it, getting your hands dirty. You're going to make, you're going to make mistakes. You know, you got to be willing, but, but what, you know, how you go forward from that is going to, you know, determine the, the future of your investing career. Um, so what was your, so what and was also, your oh, go ahead, go ahead, Josh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and and also, you know, definitely find someone who's doing it. You know, find somebody who's doing the strategies that you want to pursue, you know, whether it be buy and hold, whether it be fix and flip, you know, whether it be multifamily, mobile home park, whatever. Find somebody in that niche. That's probably the biggest thing. Find somebody in that niche that you can sit down and talk with because I can tell you, man, from personal experience, like it's so many uh, investors who are love to, you know, love to sit down and educate the next person because we know there's so much out here. Like, it, it no, ain't like you you taking off my plate, but we'll be willing to help, you know, help you get started or whatever. And that's one of the things that I have found in in the real estate business is that you know the community is extremely transparent and they'll share with you and say, hey do this, do that, you know, yeah. can I help you? You know, they'll give you some insight. They'll tell you, refer you to a financial institution that they work with or an appraiser. You know, right. so it's a very much a, a a situation where, you know, they they help each other. And that's a that's a great thing to do. Now, share with us your, your first. Now, you said you just jumped in. So did you do a fix yeah. and flip or, or you did a, uh, a you know, because my, my, my wife and I's strategy is uh, we buy properties with tenants in them. Okay, so we okay, know okay. that as soon as we buy it, we're going to start flowing from the beginning. Now, we may transition into buying, you know, vacant properties or properties that we have to do some some, some fixing up to. But explain what, yep. was your, what was your strategy going in? Because I think you're doing where you buy properties that are vacant, fix them, and then rent them out. Explain how you do Yeah, that. yeah. Yeah, so I, I didn't start out doing that, you know, from the beginning. Because my first one, like I said, I lived in it. So it was a, it was a moving ready property. Um, okay. You know, so my first one, my first one was a moving rent, but I did on the front side when I first bought my town, it was a short sale. So I got it at a good deal. You know, you know, I guess at the time I was already investing. I didn't even know it. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> getting that pro- getting that property on the short sale back in I think it was 2011. 
um, you know, about 109. But, um, but yeah, as I started, you know, really, really um, kind of narrowing my focus on what I really like to do the most, I've settled in that area of I want to get a value-add property, something that I can do some work to. And that's for a couple of different reasons. One, because you can you can autom- you can add your value to that property yourself. And two, I don't mind getting my hands dirty. I've learned a lot about you know actually rehabbing property, so I'm actually on site <laughs> most of the time, and you know doing some work a lot of the time. So I know I can save money on that end as well. Uh, you know, so I go after those that need fixing. And another mindset that I, I have behind that is. If I know I got to go in there and, you know, fix it up from the beginning, a lot of that stuff is going to be, you know, brand new going in with my first tenant. So it's it's like a it's like a brand new house pretty much. Um, and I know I can be, you know, kind of not, not all the way 100% worry-free maintenance-wise, but, you know, I can kind of relax once they get in there and get, you know, get the ball rolling. So those are the ones I go out to value-add properties. Yep. Since you had, since you, you know, coming out of the NFL, you had a war chest. Were you buying these properties for cash, or you know, how were you, yeah. how were you doing that? Okay, so you were buying. Yeah. What's the yeah. price so, range? You were, what's the price range you were looking at for properties then? Oh, you know, and I didn't, you know, that was another thing uh, up front. I didn't, I didn't have a particular price range. You know, that could have been, and again, I had, I had a certain amount of cash on hand, so, you know, I hadn't really got my numbers down like I you know probably should have uh, as far as my buying criteria I was looking at I was looking at everything if it you know <laughs> if I knew I could buy it for a certain price and get it rehabbed and still stay under the you know the ARV price uh, the after repair value price then I knew I would probably get it um, now I, I'm in two different markets so half of my portfolio is in Atlanta and the other half is down in Macon so if anybody knows about those two areas they know Atlanta's, you know, quite more expensive than it is making. So I started in Atlanta, um, you know, had an, I did about three, I did about three, and then I was looking like, wait a minute, my, you know, I haven't reached my my monthly residual goal, but my capital my capital that I had saved up is starting to dwindle down. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to start, you know, I got to start seeing, you know, how I can, you know, go a different route. And then, you know, I discovered the making area. I'm actually from from Middle Georgia, so. And I got family that's right there in Macon. Um, but then once I discovered that market, it was kind of like, you know, uh, it, was, it was a real eye-opening. I'm sure it was probably like, well, why food Atlanta where you can buy the same house, <laughs> right. in, the same house in, in Atlanta that would sell, <clears throat> excuse me, that would sell for about 130 a three-bedroom, yep. two-bath in Macon, believe it or not, people. Right. Thirty to forty four dollars, and you say why is that? Exactly. Well, the market. I mean, it's, you know, yep. it's the market. It's like going to New York City. If you go to New York City, or, or and, and, and price out a a a, a house mm-hmm. in Atlanta that sells for two or three hundred, it'll sell for a million dollars in, in in New York City. The same thing in Atlanta. Exactly. You go to one side of Atlanta, you know, a price mm-hmm. on the north side may even double. That's just the market. So, you know, and and, and yep. like I said, in, in, in uh, Josh's case, he's found out about making it. So have I. My wife and I found out about yep. making too. So we're down there fooling around <laughs> and, and making because we just there's too much competition yeah. in Atlanta. 
There's too many people out there, you know, I'm thinking, you know what? And not to say there's not competition in Macon, but it makes a sense. So now you're looking right. at, uh, at, at houses in Macon, and that's going to be – how many – what is your plan? How many houses, how many properties do you want to own eventually? Are you, are you fixed, though? You say, listen, I'm done. I've got enough. I'm just going to sit here and collect my checks. I mean, are you still out there uh, making things happen? Yes. So even from day, I mean, even from day one when I decided to really go in on this real estate journey, I didn't have a, I didn't want to have a set number of houses. I wanted to have a uh, a set residual income per month, you know, net, you know, bring it home. Um, right. And I, I will say I've I've met that goal, you know, so far. But you know, if anybody get into real estate, man, and, and you really got a passion for it, <laughs> I think it'll be kind of hard to. You know, once, especially once you get your systems in place and, you you know, everything can run smooth and effectively, you know, it'll be hard, I think, to kind of, to, uh, you know, just stop investing because um, I'm still, you know, still actually doing it. And so that and that's so true because usually you, there are more properties than you have money <laughs> to buy them. When you start looking, <laughs> yep. like whoa, you know, yep. and and that's what happens is that there are so many properties out there, and a lot of times you can't mm-hmm. get to them fast enough because the good deals go quickly. And once oh, yeah. again, you know, where is your funding coming from? You know, if you got cash or you're having to get, you know, to go to the bank, and, and that could be a limitation sometimes. So that's what right, stops right. most investors. And that, and once you get to a, you know, I think you're at, I think you told me you're at about six or eight properties now. And I think once you get so past have, that, am I yeah. am I low so, um, Yeah, yeah, you kind of a little low. I got I got eight single families. Um, okay. Got eight single families. I also own an RV park uh, back in my hometown in Washington County. Um, and I bought a mobile home park at the end of last year, a 12-pad mobile home park, uh, right. which we can dive into that, too. We can dive into that, man, because that's, that's that was another eye-opener for me. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, we're going to have uh, to have so, you come so. on and talk about that, because the wife and I have looked at mobile <laughs> home parks. My wife was the first one to kind of uh, peep me to that. You know, she uh, yeah. uh, she's from Hinesville down in Hinesville, Georgia. And some of these uh, small towns, RV parks yep, are yep. really big. Not RV, I'm sorry. Oh. Mobile homes mobile home, parks yeah. are really big. Oh. And I've never oh, lived yeah. in a mobile home, but some of them are real nice, you know. And, nice. and, some, of oh, these yeah. smaller, smaller, and some of these smaller counties, only the, the, only people can only afford anywhere from 500 to to $700, $800 a month. They can't afford 1000 1200 And so the mobile homes are, are a great ticket. Yeah, we need to have you come on and talk about mobile homes because that's a whole other area. And, and you hit on something else, Josh, is that once you get into real estate, you say, okay, I'm doing single-family homes. And all of a sudden you're looking around and boom, this comes and says, hey, let me check that out, you yeah. know. And oh, so you got yeah. an empire mm-hmm. going on right there. So are you looking to buy? So what are you doing now? What, what are you actively looking at now to do? Um, I, th- I think I've, I think single family has probably run its course with me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to, I'm going to hold on to what I got, obviously. Um, but now I'm really, I'm looking at a multifamily in making right now, uh, a smaller 10 unit and, and, and man, mobile home, like mobile home parks, it's, it, the returns is <laughs> the returns is crazy. Um, what type, what type of return you know, are you talking really, about? What type of return on a dollar? Fifteen percent, twenty percent? What are we talking about? Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Um, I'm just trying to think. I, I give you some real numbers, man. On the, okay, I give you some real numbers on the radio. So I purchased my part for one seventy five, and okay. it's it's twelve units out there. Uh, I got twelve homes. 
and uh, I clear I clear about forty five hundred a month. So, wow, uh, you yeah you <laughs> you can see the. Uh, <laughs> So that's you know, about that's about over and, fifty thousand. That's over fifty thousand dollars a year just on one one deal. Forget about the yeah. single family RV park. Okay. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, and, and 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 once I bought the park, I discovered another world of the mobile home investing. Because um, I was just focused on buying the whole park, but there's actually investors out there, and I would I would you know to your listeners, people who are you know trying to get into real estate, maybe don't have that much that much cash, or not access to a lot of cash. Think about think about investing in mobile homes within parks. So, say me as the owner, I bought that park. I got, I got two vacants out there, which I'm trying to get filled. Um, you know, you can go to the you can go to the park owner. Hey, let me can I purchase this home? You know, you can put you and believe it or not, you can purchase those trailers for like two grand. Uh, wow, two grand. Yeah, you can purchase two grand. Put you know put anywhere from three to five grand into it. So you all in under you know under ten ten thousand, and you turn around and rent it you know rent it out five hundred six hundred dollars, and you pay you just pay the owner the lot fee, and you keep the rest. You know you can do it that way if you want to do long term rental, or you can just own a finance it to somebody, which is very popular in the mobile home space. Um, you know so it's so many avenues, and then you can so you can you can really see the the return on your investment when you're you know, like you just go into a park. Buy the buy the home, fix it, and then you know either rent it or own a finance. So uh, that's a that's a great way to do it too. And we'll have you come on because I subscribe to a uh, it's not a newsletter, it's a it's an app, and they send you. I mean every just about literally every day I get something, or maybe at least three or four times a week I get something in my inbox about a, a mobile home park for sale, and they range up to a yeah. couple of million down to like you said a couple hundred thousand. And so like I now said, it's a whole list. Yeah, I will say, I will say a lot of a lot of investors are, are starting to come into this space, and so you know a lot of seasoned investors actually know the value of these parks. So when you're getting stuff, probably like what you're getting, they're going to be retail value. Um, you know, if you want to try to find the real deals, man, I, I, you know you you just gotta you just gotta be on the on the ground with it. Um, you know, getting it getting them from mom and pop to be the you know the best thing. That's that's the route I went. I got it from my mom and pop, older lady. Uh, she her husband passed. She just wanted to get rid of it. She didn't want nothing to do with it again. So uh, that's how I was able to get a you know pretty good deal. You know, but it, so this, it, it's worth. So this so this park mobile park wasn't on the market. You just happened to come no. across somebody who was a a motivated seller, and you happened yep. to show up, and you you did you solved the problem. It was a win win. She wanted to get rid of it. You wanted to buy yep. it, yep. and that's a win-win. You know, I always believe in real estate; it's a win-win. It's not a win-lose. It's always yep. got to be, you know, yep. you have a need. Let me solve that need and go yep. off to the races. You know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. How did you come across this this woman? Did you just, I mean, the newspaper? How did you find her? Is <laughs> a friend that referred so, you to him? No, so I'm from a small town, man. I'm from there. Um, you know, I'm, you know, everybody pretty much know me from my hometown, just you know, because of the football world and everything. Um, but she knew I was investing in real estate, and she ran across my mom actually works at the post office. Um, and she came to her and said, "Hey, you know, I'm really thinking about getting rid of it." She actually had three parks. She had sold one already, and um, had this other one left. Um, and so she wanted to get rid of it. Told my mom, asked me if I would be interested. You know, I looked at the numbers, looked at all the expenses. You know, and you know, try to see where we could adjust some things to even, you know, even make the the profit on the back end even more profitable. Um, 
and it was, it was no brainer, man. So uh, it was personal connection, personal connection. You are, that's great. Well, Josh, we're going to have to have you on again to talk about the mobile parks and the RV parks. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on yeah. the show. You welcome knowledge. Much success oh, yeah. to you. And, uh, we got to break some bread real soon, man. You know, it seems like you got a lot yes, of knowledge, sir. and I can, and I can uh, sit at your knee and learn some of the things about this thing we call real estate investing. And you've only been doing it six years. You're not even 40 yet, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, uh, no, you're not uh, even 40 hey, yet. I turn 30, 33. 33 this 33. Year. Oh, man, see, <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got eyes older than that, <laughs> but that's a good thing. You're, you're, you're an inspiration, my brother. We thank you so much for being on your personal it. podcast. All right, man. Take care now. Appreciate it. All right. All right. All right. Yes, sir. Yeah. Man, that was a wealth of knowledge. See, I could talk to a brother like that for, for hours because, you know, uh, he's doing something, obviously, that, that I'm in the same business as he is uh and every every real estate investor has a different story they really do and so you got to just listen you know we had earlier this week we had on bill omi and he was talking he owns 45 properties and he's doing two hundred thousand dollars a year and uh in, in rental income and you got josh here on one mobile park he's making over fifty thousand dollars on one mobile park he invested 175 He's get bringing in over fifty thousand. He's gonna make his money back in what two or three years? Amazing, and that's the kind of thing that real estate will afford you. Okay, is the opportunity you know for you to be able to <clears throat> excuse me to um you know make those kinds of connections. And as as we were talking, that the the community of real estate investors are very transparent. You know, they share what you know what they're doing. You know, and, uh, and 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 there's no one way to skin the cat. Like I said, there's uh, there's fixing and well, there's buying hold. You know, you buy a property and you hold it and you rent it out. There's the fix and flip, where you buy a property um, at a you know depressed price and you fix it up and then you sell it. And a lot of times, what these fix and flip are looking to do is to make anywhere from fifty to a hundred thousand dollars on a deal. But then you got to do it again, you know. Uh, and then you have people that go to auctions, foreclosures. Um, they go to uh, tax lien sales, tax deed sales, where you're buying a property for the amount of back taxes. Actually, you know, we were looking into that. Uh, there was a tax sale coming up in May in Macon, and we were set. We went down and looked at property, but of course now, with the pandemic going on, that's been postponed. But that's how you can buy properties for just the taxes that are due, okay? Um, and that's a deal where, so for example, you might find a property worth $50,000 and the back taxes are three, four, five thousand. So you could buy that property, you can buy the tax lien for three, four thousand dollars. And in the state of Georgia, if my, my, if my information is correct, you have to hold on to it for a year before you can take possession of it. But if the person who owns the property before wants to, you know, get the property back, then they got to pay you 20% of what you pay. So if you paid a thousand dollars in taxes, they got to, you know, they've got to, uh, you know, uh, pay you 20% over that. So if you paid a thousand dollars tax, they got to, they got to pay, uh, you know, twelve hundred dollars to get the to get the property back. So always kind of ways to skin the cat. So that's uh, that's exciting. 
So, uh, uh, so Mac Markadu, are you there? I'm right here. Yeah, oh, great, sir. Uh, thank you so much for uh, holding on and coming on. Uh, we've got our next guest on. Uh, this is Sir Markadu Haggins, and he is born and raised. Let me give him his introduction. Born and raised in the mean streets of Boston. And uh, throughout his childhood was, you know, a lot of crime and, and bullying, violence, and all that kind of stuff. But he always had an interest in money, how to make it, how people spend it, and how he get his hands on it. And so he started out real young at 10, selling, distributing products and stuff like that. Worked at various jobs in construction and financial services. Got an associate's degree in small business management and was a licensed life insurance agent. Uh, but his life changed. He gave up drugs and alcohol. I'm sure he'll share a little bit about that. Moved to Atlanta and brought some product, sold some stuff, and his company, Heavenly Body products was launched and um, he's a big believer in helping God's people prosper he's a published author as well and has a book entitled Economic Evangelism and he'll talk a little bit about that thank you so much uh, Sir Mark Adu for being on the show how are you doing this evening I'm doing great and thank you for having me this is definitely a pleasure well I, I think you know with all that's going on the people are, are shelter in place and you know I think it's a great time to if you don't come out of this pandemic with a new skill, some more learning, or a side hustle, then if I say you don't like the time, you just like the discipline. <laughs> Does that make, that Ooh, make sense? Because yeah. now you got time. Yeah, you can't, you can't go anywhere, at least not as freely as you would like. And so now's the time to think about that stuff. And so in the last couple of weeks, you know, I've been you know, talking with my wife about restarting my radio show. I did that for about 20-something years and did a long show uh, form show on WAOK for five years. I said, let me, let me get this thing going again because I really enjoy doing that. I said, let me start. The Internet is such that you don't need all that stuff anymore. So anybody with a microphone and a computer can get on and have a radio show, and that's exciting. So thank you so much for coming on. So tell us about growing up in Boston. What was that like? I grew up in New York City. I know Boston had some racial issues, you know, because they had that big riot back there in uh, when Dr. King in, in 68 when he was assassinated. And, uh, you know, they had some challenges there. But tell us about growing up in Boston. What what was that like? I mean, it was um, it was very interesting. Um, I, you know, uh, looking back now, I would realize that it was just like probably any other in this city. Uh, um, uh, dwelling in any in the city, and but it was um, um, oh my god! I, I said interesting. Um, I, I realized that there wasn't much for. Uh, I'm just talking black right now. There wasn't much uh, for black people to do. It, was, it seemed like there wasn't a lot of opportunities for. Um, for the youth and the young adults, so uh, I was uh, molested at a young young age. I was molested at eight years old, so I was mm. thirteen. And so once I um, I, I realized uh, at thirteen I was, was going to kill myself, and I was going to commit suicide. And and I realized uh, at some point as I'm screaming out to God, please help me, you know. Um, Finally, um, I, I, I kind of hold it myself, and I and I and I, I said, okay, I can do this, and there's no need to kill myself. And I realized that I had skills that, 
you know, the average young youth or young adult didn't have. You know, and that was uh, the, the the power of sales. And that's when I realized I can go, I can do things on another. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, that you can hear. Yeah, I I made sure I was in a position where I was, we were at a strong signal. Uh, but I realized that um, uh, that I can do things that uh, even my siblings or my cousins couldn't do. I had a talent. And that was one of the things that kind of kept me from killing myself. But I realized uh, most of my, my money was uh, was basically in the streets. Even though I sold, I sold a lot of, uh, you know, candy, you know, uh, things of that nature. But I realized that I could uh, shovel snow. I was pretty good at it. And, uh, uh, and, they, and they, like, I, I sold almost anything I could get my hands on. And uh, as I got older, you know, I did get off into a little bit of the drugs you know, scene. I wasn't a big-time deal or nothing like that. But it was just like uh, people with other of my uh, peers were doing it. So I kind of got in there. But I didn't really like that life, that lifestyle of really willing and dealing, dealing drugs. But, uh, but, it, but just that whole uh, energy... It taught me something about uh, branding and marketing and psychology, simplicity, duplication, customer service, and and I vowed to God that if you know that I was going to do this for the rest of my life, and uh, but I had uh, got to a certain point where uh, what the, uh, my uncle that molested me. Um, he ended up talking me into going to college. I mean, he really talked me into going to college because he stopped touching me at 13. That was it. So, so we had to have a uh, we had a, a friendly relationship all the way through. But uh, he ended up uh, talking me into college, almost conning me to go to college, you know. And um, so I went for two years, got an associate's degree in, in business management. Uh, which I, I I don't know how much it did for me, but I, I did go there. And I, but I learned uh, uh, how to hang in there and stick in there. So I went to school in, in uh, Franklin, Massachusetts. Uh, it was a predominantly white college, and I knew I had to go and stay on campus. If I didn't do stay on campus, I knew I was in big trouble. If I had to just if I knew I if I had to did some. Uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, uh, when you uh, go come home, uh, you go home and come back, go to school and come back. And if I did the shuttle thing, um, mm-hmm. I, w- I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made it. There's no way. So, so you come, so but, you uh, come to Atlanta. So you come to Atlanta. Uh, then you move to Atlanta after all of that. You you get your degree and everything. And because I want to get into the product, because I think it's a very interesting product that you yeah. have. And so, how did you how did you get into um, how did you get into selling what you sell now into the company you have Heavenly Body okay. Products? Tell us how did you how okay. started it? <laughs> it is weird because you know I ended up being, I ended up being a crack addict and a, and, a, uh, and I quit and I quit one day God said quit and I quit I quit drinking drugging all that stuff and that's when um, 
I, I finally I just said I got to get out of here. You know, there's nothing else for me to do here. So I I moved out into Atlanta. At first I moved to Charlotte for about 30 days, and it didn't work out for me. And then I ended up moving to Atlanta. And I was staying with my aunt because I didn't have none. I was staying with my aunt, and my uncle, and uh, I finally I started working out for uh, Edwards Banking Company, and I I, I slaved over there for about six months. And I realized, I said, shoot, I can make more money picking up cans and redeeming cans and bottles than I can doing this, you know? So um, I ended up buying two dozen T-shirts, religious T-shirts, and I got on the corner of McAfee and Candler Road because a lot of people said, oh, that was you? You know, I said, that was me. I was on the corner of McAfee and Candler Road right at the candy shop store, and I was uh, yelling at cars all day to buy a religious t-shirts and then um, I moved from the t-shirts and I realized man people were saying I need socks so I started selling socks so I was selling t-shirts and socks t-shirts and socks I got so big I, it was just crazy I couldn't even hardly keep up I didn't even have a car around that time so finally I see somebody selling some body oil a roll on and I seen them I was watching them and, I, and he was selling those little roll-outs for $5. And I said, wow, people are buying that little thing for $5? Uh, you're you're and, kind uh, of going in and out on me. Are you, uh, are okay. you stationary well, right now? You've got to go in yeah, and out. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm, I'm stationary. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, okay. in, I'm in the lobby of the warehouse. I got a full bar. Yeah, because I seen you kind of fading a little bit when I was listening to you earlier. But, um, but can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, yes, uh, so I asked him where can I get some uh, some of that oil in the wrestler's history. I started selling oil, but now the oil wasn't my my my, my main bread and butter. So the uh, so what happened was uh, it took me a long time to sell that first wave of oils, but then once people started asking me for more different designs. Uh, I started buying more oil, and I and I started getting better at it. But I was, but the the magic was, I was wholesaling and retailing at the same time. That was the whole thing. I had a cousin of mine told me he said, "Don't get into the oil business because everybody was selling it." So thank God I didn't listen to him. But all of a sudden, I finally I got my first store. I I, I did it long enough and hard enough. Opened up my first store uh, off of Western Chapel Road, and I went from there to, to a, a warehouse across the street. I moved out of that warehouse to this warehouse. Okay, you keep you keep you keep you keep going in and out. Uh, I don't know what's going on here. Well, uh, I hope people can hear me. I, if somebody was, uh, uh, okay, I'm trying. I'll, I'll move around the warehouse a little bit, but. Okay. Well, you probably need to stay stationary because it's going in and out. Okay, I'm stationary okay. now. Okay, all right, go ahead. Because you got some good information, Maybe but I want I... people to be able to hear you. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of wish I had called from the so, landline now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you 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 bought some t-shirts and then went to socks and then into oils and then you had your first shop mm-hmm. on Western Chapel, and so yeah. let's take it from okay. Yes. 
So it was weird because it was a small little store, about 700 square feet. And in that store, I was retailing and wholesaling. Mostly everything at that point was mostly wholesale, distribution. So uh, that's what caused me to grow, grow, grow. And I, I stayed there for about three and a half years. And then I moved. And I had to get out of there. It was just too small. And, okay. And I uh, I moved into a warehouse, 3,200-square-foot warehouse. And so, and, and that's where you are now off of uh, Panola Road. Is that correct? So, explain, yeah, so a lot of people may not know what, what wholesaling is. You know, ho- explain what wholesaling is, you know, because uh, a lot of folks say, okay, what is wholesaling? What is wholesaling? Explain that a little bit. Okay, wholesale is just that I make sure that I sell my products uh, to people that want to get in the business. That's the thing. And, uh, and I really have a, a focus on using young adults, really the young adults, and parents that have children. And it's been tough. It's been tough. But uh, I sell at a bulk prices so uh, people can just uh, – they're able to uh, to go out and retail and wholesale. That's how powerful it is. So in other but words, I, I you, said, you said with wholesaling, you're selling it to other business owners who are going to market up and sell it, you know, to to cut to their customers, basically. Yeah, to retail customers. And the thing is, they're not okay. just uh, business owners. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Are you, are you still moving around the warehouse? I am not. You know what? I, I think I'm going to do. I'm going to call on the landline. No, that ain't. Okay. Yeah. All right. Then go ahead and call back. I'm going to let you go and call back on the landline. And so as we wait for call back in. Yeah, you know, one of the things, that, and he's an active guy. When I went over to his warehouse, he's moving and grooving and all that kind of stuff. So uh, hopefully we'll have a connection with uh, with the landline. All right, Sir Markadu, are you there? Yeah, I'm right here. Are you there, sir? I now, hope that, that sounds a lot better. 100% better. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah, because uh, you must have been moving around, or maybe the connection there in the uh, in the warehouse wasn't, you know, wasn't very, very good. So, so now you're selling... So when did you open up the warehouse? Did you have the warehouse over on uh, on on, on uh, Wesley Chapel or? You no, that a nice was a small store. That was about seven hundred square feet. But I, when I moved over here to on this street, okay. I was across the street. Uh huh. Okay. Yes. So and you got a, you got a lot of product, you got a lot of product in there. I mean, you know, uh, and and so explain what's your. What's the, your main line of business? Your main line of business is the oils. Is that pretty much your main line of business? Yeah, the the burning oils, the air freshener, and then you know I got shea butter, black soap, uh, incense, lotion, bubble bath, um, and uh, and body oils. So that's my my main line. But now it's you know because of the virus, I sell uh, hand sanitizer. Uh, gloves, uh, masks. So I really mix it up real good. So what's your what's your what's your leading products? I mean, is it mostly the oils? Then those are the things that yeah do well. How the do you burning oils? Yeah. 
the chronic killer, the burning oil air freshener. Uh, I really opened. Uh, we really opened up the market for a lot of individuals. Um, my my main thing is not just the price; it's the service of catering to God's people, helping them get over, uh, get, get around. Now, when you came in here, you I don't think you even got a chance to really see everything unless you took a little tour. Did you ever take a little tour? Yeah, I took a tour to uh, the back of the warehouse. That's why I said you've got a lot of product in there. I mean, I mean a ton of product. And so, <laughs> so, I mean, a lot, you know, I mean, and, and, and you know, in the oils and stuff like that. So how do you market? How do you, if you're a wholesaler, because you're not selling primarily to the, the, the uh, customer, to consumer. The end user. Selling, yeah, the, the end business. user. The end user. Right. You're, yeah. You're selling to, the, to business owners. How do you, how, I mean, how do you market that? How do you market that, a wholesaling business? Okay, it's, it's very simple. Um, I always... Uh, I'm always looking at uh, people that have one an opportunity. That's the easiest way to tell you. I market through uh, social media. Um, I, I have a broadcast that I do uh, twice a week. I do I do that. I always make connections, but also um, through uh, uh, websites, email blasts, uh, Facebook. Um, I, I mean uh, IG. So uh, it's starting to really, really pick up again, you know. So a lot of it is word of mouth. I, I feel like this. As long as I'm helping God's people, I don't have to worry about this. This thing is always going to keep going on. So you don't do, – I mean, do you actually go out and buy advertising? Because a lot like – well, Facebook, you, you could buy ads on Facebook and some other things like that. So right. you have to spend a lot of money on, on advertising and that kind of thing, or is it, or is it more – You've been, you've been doing this. For how long have you been doing this now? How many years? I've been doing this like 26 years. Okay. So I've been, you've been in this building over 19 years now. Okay. So you've got an established customer base there of folks that know oh, where yeah. to find you. And, From coast yeah, to coast. Okay. Coast to coast, border okay. to border. Okay. I so now you mentioned another thing. Place. So you have, you have customers not only in the Atlanta area, but, but internationally and nationally that, that buy from you. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that that is awesome, awesome, awesome. So if somebody wanted to get into this business, I mean, and, and sell oils, you know, what would they what would they do? What would they, what would they do? What type of packaging? How much, is, how much would they have to invest to do that? Well, I, I want to answer the first question was uh, as advertising and um, – you know, it, it, any any business not advertising is something wrong, and I, you know, it's mostly marketing. You know, I try to keep at least, you know, uh, the the, you know, about a three to five thousand dollar a month budget. You know, just for advertising. You know, just put it okay. put the market out there. But now that we um, we have, uh, they can reach me at Heavenly Body Price. Now that this uh, Corona thing. This is huge. I mean, I mean, we sell masks and gloves and you know and sanitizers. So we get ready to get into disinfectant and stuff like that. So the the, the market has changed, and so they can uh, go on my website, uh, heavenlybodyproducts.com, or they can come and visit the warehouse and take a tour. You know, of, uh, I'm at 2571 Park Central Boulevard in Decatur, Georgia, and um, they can also uh, give us a call at 404-286-6700 during the, uh, between the hours of 
10 and 5, but uh, we, we definitely want people to go on that website and check it out, see what products. If you have a child or you have a grandchild or a young adult, this is a perfect business for them. We have the shea butter, the black soap, the, the bubble bath, the lotion, uh, sage, incense. You know, we have a lot of things. And like you said, I'm a published author. I wrote a book on the economy, you know, on how the eyes coming through my eyes. And I'd love for you to go on to my, um, check out my other website, which is uh, sirmarkadoo.com, which is S-I-R-M-A-R-K. A D O O. That's Sir com, and you can get to any one of my uh, uh, websites from there. And I would love for people if you need to call me or get in touch with me direct, you can call me at four zero four five seven eight three five four nine. I hope we're still here. Yes, I'm just, uh, okay, Brother Ross. So I hope we, uh, I hope everybody got a chance to to hear me. We didn't get a, a break. And now, um, I'm sorry about the inconvenience that is, we've been in and out all evening. And I, I apologize. 